Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner. Welcome into episode 223 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Jamie Eisner, the Natty Hattie, and Silence. Well, Craig usually whispers into the mic to start the show anyway. That's true. We could have probably gone five minutes into the show before people realized Craig Morgan was not here. But don't, don't turn off the podcast yet. He is coming. He's he will join us on the show later. He's just late. Yeah, he's just in like, he's partying in Buffalo. <laughs> I mean, look, it, we've it, all been there. I mean, it's 1248 p.m. Eastern time in Buffalo right now on a Saturday. I oh. mean, if you can only imagine the trouble Craig Morgan is getting himself into. Probably a lot of snowball fights. Probably. And uh, eating a lot of wings. I don't know what else people do in Buffalo. I don't know, stare stare at that big waterfall they have near nearby. I think it has a name. Actually. Does it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so right now it's just me and Jamie. Craig will be here shortly. But uh, we're going to start. We got to start with the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and a text I received from Jamie Eisner last night that said simply, I was wrong. Um, let's begin there. Okay. How wrong do you feel right now? Because they look unstoppable. Well, they score 18 goals every time I look up, um, which I guess I should not have been surprised by. I'm a little surprised at how well their goaltending has been, I think, for the most part. Uh, I know they had that bit, that Florida game a couple of weeks back where it felt like they let a goal in every 15 seconds, but they end up still winning that game uh, in yeah. overtime anyway. So so didn't score eight goals. Uh, Nate McKinnon scores literally every single game for the rest of time. Like He's never going to never not score again. Although... He didn't score last night, and they still beat Vegas six to one. No, I think didn't he say, didn't send his point straight last night. I thought he oh, did. he made had a, he made had a point. He didn't have a goal. I, yeah, I mean he scored like I think he's he's got ten ten in a row this year, and I think it's nineteen or twenty games in a row with a point dating back to last season. He's regular unreal. season. He's right there with McDavid. Absolutely, he is. Um, Absolutely, he is. But uh, but last night they beat Vegas six to one in Vegas. They boat raced them, and that was the first time Flurry I believe got pulled since opening night last season. Yeah. By Vegas. And they don't even have Rotten in right now, who I would say is their second best player. Yes, and one of the 15 best players in hockey. Maybe that's being disingenuous. Maybe he's one of the ten, two of the 10. I mean, he might be. Well, he's he's, there's there. no way he's two of the well, 10. That would be him and McKinnon, but yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, he's still like on his way up, but he's certainly one of the best 15, let's say. And, uh, and he didn't play. Landis Gog and McKinnon didn't have goals, and they still beat Vegas in Vegas 6 to 1. So. Yeah, JT Comfer's been putting Ian Cole, Ian Cole of Ian all people, Cole is putting up tons of points. Is producing points. Uh, it, it's been really. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna look up their their Avs stats here, but look, Burakovsky's been putting up points. That one, so that one surprised me, and I think I I'm gonna end up being right about Kadri, I believe, but wrong about Burakovsky because I I looked at Burakovsky and I went eh, 
Whatever. Not only does Burakovsky have I mean, a New playing York fine. accent. Yeah, yeah I mean, playing fine. Night, yeah. I'm, I'm just not saying. People were expecting... I, I, and again, I guess he still could get there at some point. It's a lot of time left. But people were expecting these huge 30-plus goal, 70-point season from him. And I still don't think that that's the type of player he's going to be there. But Burakovsky's been making an impact. Kale McCarr looks awesome. Like, we need to talk about him in the Norris conversation. McCarr. Now, John Carlson's alive, so we can't yet. But yeah. Kale McCarr really looks awesome so far. When did John Carlson... We've gotten a little bit off topic here, and we'll come back to Colorado and some of these other teams with uh, with the luckiest and unluckiest PDOs so far. But when did Car- John Carlson become the best Carlson in the league? Well, this is now year three of him having elite production. You go back to the you go back to the seventeen eighteen season. We had that sixty eight points last year. He had seventy points, but I mean they've been using him in all sorts of situations. He's been I mean he put the puck on net a ton that season. I mean he hasn't done it again, but he put two hundred thirty seven shots on net in the seventeen eighteen season, uh, and he just really looked like a different player that year. I know he had that fifty five point year a couple years prior to that in that fourteen fifteen season, but he was always like. A good defenseman. He's become an elite defenseman over the last three seasons. Yeah. Right now, should be the favorite for the Norris. I just uh, watching some of that game when they were playing Edmonton the other night, and he just makes it look effortless as he was just nonchalantly shutting down Leon Drysaddle on certain plays. Now Drysaddle still had two goals, and the Oilers won in overtime because you can't stop Drysaddle and McDavid for a full game. But Carlson is against elite talent is. Yeah, he probably is the best defenseman in the game right now. Yeah, because it's a two-way game, too. It's not just the points. The points points caught up to how good he's been on defense over the last several years. But now he's an all-around defenseman. And I mean, you can count on one hand, maybe you don't even need all your fingers, how many defensemen you would want on your team right now over him for this season. I can't think of any off the top of my head. It's tough. I mean, I I still would lean Victor Hedman, maybe. Yeah, okay, Hedman. And there's guys that are close. Like Seth Jones, I think, is yeah. is going to be there soon. Um, but either way. But back to McCarr. Unreal. To step in this early in your career as a defenseman. And we're talking about John Carlson and how amazing he's been. It took him years to get to that point. Yeah. And McCarr's not at that level yet, but he's Colorado is just loaded. Can you even remember, what was it, two-ish, maybe three years ago, when there was all the talk that Sackick's probably on his way out? Yeah. They had to get rid of Matt Duchesne. I mean, can you ever remember a team instantly taking off when they got rid of one of their best players. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. I cannot. It, it's so interesting because they're such a fun team to watch. And I, I said that even when I was talking about them being a bubble team before. So they're going to be an awesome team to watch. They've you have gotten, to watch them if they're on. Yes, they've gotten great goaltending so far. Philip Grubauer's been good. Uh, is it Francouz? Francouz. Francouz. He's yeah. starting again tonight. It'll be what, his third start of the year. Uh I mean, he's solid. He's been, I mean, he's been solid he so far. Again, it's two-game sample size. But they're getting the goaltending. If they get this type of goaltending, which, by the way, they won't. That's part yeah. of it. Not for all season. But, but they don't need it. I mean, Tampa didn't need it last year. No. Tampa, yeah. Tampa got by with above-average goaltending. And by got by, which was winning the most games any team's ever won in the regular season and then never winning again. So, really, the definition of not getting by twice. They <laughs> blew past everybody and then couldn't get by when it mattered most. It just makes me wonder... <sighs> Like, Matt Duchesne's a very good hockey player, and you never heard of him getting in trouble or being a bad guy. You just heard, ah, he's not great in the locker room. For them to be as bad as they were, and basically within a week of trading him, take off, it's like bad in the locker room means he was taking the blades out of everybody's skates before they stepped on the ice. <laughs> Look, it's it, unreal. We've heard the phrase, the cliche in sports addition by subtraction, and sometimes it's just a bad fit, and yeah. by all indications from what we heard around the time of the trade, it was a bad fit, but... You have to give this team a lot of credit for young guys that they have drafted stepping up and playing beyond 
beyond belief. I mean, Rantanen, for example, who nobody thought was going to be this. I mean, I thought he was going to be good. He was highly regarded, but not one of the best players in all of hockey. Kale McCarr was a great pick, and they've got other pieces coming up. You know, Gabe Landeskog is, you know, people have gone back and forth on him because he's not the point per game player that people thought he might be. Yeah. But he's still really, really solid. He's definitely a first line caliber player. It's really nice to have him be your third best player. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many teams would love to have Gabriel Landeskog as their best player? Absolutely. I mean, Samuel Gerard's been good on the blue line. That was always the thing. Can those young guys, Gerard, McCarr, can they step up on the blue line? They've gotten, I mean, they've gotten five points in six games from Ian Cole. Yeah, that one I think isn't going to last. Yeah, no. So let's get back into the uh, the article you sent me. It's from Sportsnet. The the most lucky and unlucky teams so far in the NHL based on PDO. So here's the the three teams just statistically PDO, which is what is that shooting percentage and safe percentage yeah. combined. And basically, if it's if it's way over a hundred, yeah, five on five on five, yeah, yeah. So if the number's way over a hundred, that sort of indicates there's going to be basically everybody regresses to around a hundred yeah. one way or the other. Yeah, you'll see by the end of the season, like if you take a look at any PDO charts now, go back to the end of the season, because if you strip off maybe usually the last place team that's usually tanking, yeah. uh, everybody's going to be from like 98.5 to like 101.5. Yeah. Like it's really that close in range. It's like a 3% difference. So if you see a team that's above 101.5, the thought is, okay, they're probably getting pretty lucky. Colorado's 105.8. Yeah, they're going to... Take it for what it's worth. It doesn't mean they're not good. It just... No, it just means they're going to regress a little bit. And by the way, they can regress a bit. And I think the biggest reason I was wrong... I if believe in the end is that the Western Conference is kind of trash. I can't figure out the Western Conference. It. Like, what I mean by that is I don't think there's an elite team in the Western Conference. Maybe I, I shouldn't say it's trash. It might it's be just Colorado. there are a lot of real. There are a lot of good teams. There are no great teams. I don't think Colorado is a great team yet. Maybe and look that opinion could be changed in a couple of months. But I need to see them get more. Cons- I want to see if does this blue line continue to play as well as they have. Are they getting the solid goaltending from Gubauer and company? two, three months down the road before I say they're an elite team. Because I still can't imagine any of these teams beating any of the three teams in the Atlantic. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Vegas And and Buffalo's not one of those three teams. (laughs) Sorry. We'll get into that later in the show. Uh, Vegas is not as good. It's early. But they're not as good as I thought they would be this season. I honestly think the Coyotes might win the Pacific. So I was mad at myself because on our prediction show, I almost said I can see a path to the conference final for the Coyotes. Because the way I was looking there... But I still see it, and it's, again, I think the West is so wide open, and the Coyotes are doing something that really no other team in the conference is doing. They are zigging when everyone else is zagging. They are playing such fundamental, again, maybe these last two games are the best example of that, I understand that, but in totality, in a whole, they are playing very solid team defense, and they're getting unbelievable goaltending yet again. The caveat with the Coyotes, and we're going to talk more Coyotes when Craig calls in, um, from Buffalo, where he now lives, I think. Yeah. Um, the caveat with the Coyotes is they can't lose a defenseman every game and expect to keep this. No, up. It, yeah, it, it's getting comical at this point. Um, for a team that was 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 due some good luck with the injuries after what they went through last year, this is absurd. They've lost three defensemen. And we're ten games into the season. Uh, other teams with really high PDOs so far. Because Colorado, let's just go through the three teams, whether or not you believe they are still going to be good by the end of the season. Colorado, I believe, is going to yes. be very... Uh, Nashville, 105.7. Yes, and this is a case where it's shooting percentage. Both these two teams have scored 42 goals in 10 games. They're averaging 4.2 goals per game. That's going to come down. Both like the Colorado, for example, is on pace to win 66 games. That, that, that's what it means by regression. Colorado's not winning 66 games this year and scoring 4.2 goals per game. That's what that means in terms of regression. Those are kind of come back down. I, I can't imagine Nashville's offense is going to stay as hot as it's been. 
I really can't. This, yeah. this is not a four goal per game type team. I know they have Duchesne. I know they've had some pieces around them, but this is still this is not a four goals per game type of team. This has been my argument with the Coyotes so far this season. When a team is is winning the way you expect them to win, I think it's more sustainable. And for me, when I look at those first two teams on this list, Colorado. I think they're going to win games by scoring a lot of goals. So you're right. They're not going to score 4.2, but they might be scoring 3.67 by the end yes, of the year. I think that's very possible. Nashville, to me, is not a goal-scoring team at that level. So of these two, I, I could see Nashville regressing a lot more than Colorado. But I still the, think they're both playoff teams, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, but the third team, and we're going to see them up close on Monday. Buffalo Sabres, a 103.1. To me, they seem like a team that is getting lucky, although I haven't got to watch them a lot just yet. I have always thought, though, that Ralph Kruger is a decent coach. So I'm not going to say Buffalo is so lucky that they have no shot at making the playoffs, which is something I would have said two weeks ago. I don't. I still wouldn't pick them to make the playoffs. But at a certain point, they're eight one and one or whatever. They're nine two and one now. Nine two and one. Yeah. Um, I, I do think Kruger's a decent coach. Yeah, and, and look, they have some. They have some high end talent. Jack Eichel's quietly been excellent so far this year. Uh, and he's somebody that's been people have been critical of, including us, because and again, critical to a point when you're starting to you're already splitting hairs when you're starting to evaluate elite players in the league. But especially from that class. Absolutely. But he's been really good so far this year. But regression's coming. This is a team that's also almost average four goals per game. Um I don't think their goaltending is going to hold up to this level. Av- averaging fewer than three goals per game allowed. I don't think that's going to happen. I-, I think they have below average goaltending. Um, their blue line still below average for me. I don't love their offensive depth. I love their top six. They have a lot of scoring, a lot of talent up there. But, um, you know, Olofsson's looked really good as a rookie playing with Jack Eichel, both 5v5 and on the power play. But, uh, look, the problem is they're going to play in a division with Boston, Toronto, and Tampa Bay. So yeah. they're not finishing in the top three. So they're going to be in a dogfight at best for one of those two wildcard spots. And, you know, even as good as things have gone for them, they're really realistically in a scenario where they're going to be, they're what, they're seven points up with two more games played. So, I mean, there's a very real scenario where as good as things have been, they're only three points up on a playoff spot. Do we think that Buffalo is going to maintain this type of a pace? No. Absolutely not. No. And they are in the wrong division. The one thing I would say about Buffalo is they have underachieved over the last few years. Yes. Now, I, it's not like I think they should have been a playoff team the last few years, but they have loaded up on top one or two picks in the draft for a while now. Uh, and they get away with less scrutiny than the Oilers because they don't win the lottery yes. every year. They're the team that gets second in the lottery every year. Um, of the two teams, though, and the Oilers aren't on this this lucky list, but Oilers, Sabres, because they've always been kind of tied together yeah. with the whole Eichel McDavid and having a lot of high picks, I trust the Oilers a lot more than the Sabres. I, I do, too, for a number of reasons. The conference they're in, the division they're in, the coach that they have. I mean, I think all three of those things. And by the way, as good as Eichel and stuff have been, they're not Dreisaitl and McDavid. No, it's just it's it's no. not the case, uh, but I I am pretty confident that Buffalo is going to regress significantly, and we'll get into that later in the show. I know Craig wanted to wait to be on before we discuss why I'm confident and what the ramifications of that confidence are. He should we should just text him right now because I believe he's actually talking to Buffalo's coach right now, isn't I, he? I think he is. Just interrupt this call. Okay. Um, I will say this too with Buffalo, they have not played Tampa or Boston or Toronto yet, so. We'll find out a little bit of what they're made of this upcoming week. They they play in Washington. They play the Coyotes on Monday, mm-hmm. and I I don't think the Coyotes are a great matchup for them. Although the Coyotes always struggle with Buffalo, but this upcoming week for the Sabers, they uh, or I guess next two weeks, they for some reason the NHL schedule this year has been absurdly it's weird. weird. They're they're a lot like they were going over it on the Devils broadcast last night when they were playing the Coyotes because like, they, they had all... six days off and then now five more days yes. off. Yes, <laughs> it makes no sense. Um. So anyway, in the next five games for Buffalo, they play the Coyotes, the Capitals, the Islanders, and Tampa twice. Yeah. So there's going to be, yeah. 
We'll find out. Uh, now, on the other side of things, the teams that are probably getting unlucky, according to this story and according to PDO, the Sharks, the Kings, and the Panthers. I believe at the most with the Panthers. Yeah, well, uh, look, with all three of those teams, it's a criminally low save percentage. So which one of those teams do we feel has the best chance of bouncing back? Is it the guy that has two resina trophies in Florida? Uh, <laughs> is it going to be whatever's left of Martin Jones or whatever's left of, I guess it's I mean, Jack Campbell starting more often than not now in L.A., isn't he? Yeah, but the combination yeah. of Jack Campbell and Jonathan Quick. Uh, I am more confident that Sergey Bobrovsky can bounce back, but he has been troublesome this year. He has not been good. It's about, again, small sample size that happens. New not goalie, the, new team, new defense. And not the same defense coach. in front of him. Like, I mean, yeah. there, there are good pieces there, but this is not the, this is not as good as the Columbus defense that was in front of him. Uh, but sub like 89% save percentage is not good. No, but that, I mean, that's so absurdly low, it's going to come up. It has to. And the thing is, and we saw this with the Coyotes two years ago, when you switch coaches, it takes a while for everybody to learn that new system, to learn just the whole coaching style, the the psychology of your new coach. Joe Quenville is a, a very psychological head coach, and there's a lot of guys on this team that probably aren't used to that. And if the team is struggling and guys don't instinctively know where to be on the ice, then obviously that's going to it's gonna impact the goalie and his save percentage. Also, weirdly, they've lost three shootouts already this year. Yeah, that's weird. We were talking about this before the show. The Coyotes haven't even been in a shootout yet this yeah, year. Florida's been in four. They're one and three, and they already have four loser points. They're trying to be. They're trying to Colorado their way into the postseason <laughs> trying, from last year. Trying to loser point their way in. Who's got the most uh, loser points right it's, now? It's got to be Florida at four. Yeah. There are a, few, a couple teams with three, but... And look, Florida has hung around. They're two points behind Toronto, and they've played two less games. So the loser points... They're, yeah, they're, they're keeping them around. I mean, look, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you start to look at these teams in, in that conference, and I, I don't... I mean, teams currently outside of the cut line right now... It's so early to be talking about the cut line, but we're talking about teams like Buffalo reg- regressing. Pittsburgh's outside the cut line. Tampa's outside the cut line. The Rangers and the Devils are outside the cut line. That might be... There are do, people out there that think Montreal or Philadelphia are going to be anything, but if you, if you are one of those people, they're also outside the cut line. Um, like Also, if you are one of those people, Jamie does look down on you, <laughs> just so you know. Tampa Bay being outside the cut line, that might actually be the world doing them a favor. They get to have a nice regular season. They're playing well. Yeah. They're 5-3-1, and one, and they don't have to deal with the pressure of being in the playoffs because if the season ended right now, they wouldn't be in the playoffs. Although they're one of those teams that hasn't played a lot of games yet. Yeah, only nine games for them. Them so, and Boston have only played nine games. And, Although it's better than, how many has Chicago played? Like four? I don't think eight. Chicago's still in the league, are they? They say Chicago's played eight games. I don't believe them. Yeah, I don't remember any of Chicago's eight games. Too bad Craig's not here to... I mean, the Rangers and the Flyers, too. Yeah. At least Chicago and the Flyers played on the other side of the planet for a while. But the Rangers... I, yeah, I don't get, I don't get the, the scheduling. is all weird. Meanwhile, Washington's already played 13. Well, yeah, which is why it's sometimes tough to evaluate standings early in the season when you're talking about teams that have played anywhere from three to four different games less or more than another team. Like, I look at some of these teams, they have the huge lead. Yeah, well, will they have that lead in a week when those games normalize? Like, probably not. I'm trying to pull up the headline on my phone, so feel free to keep talking. All right, but the filibuster it, through this? Um, if you, for like five seconds. Okay, well, uh, one of the things, I don't know where you're going with this here, one. Here, but, I got it. Uh, oh. it's, it's not on anything you were saying, but it's the headline <laughs> of, a, of a story on, it's on Sportsnet. What can the Maple Leafs do to right the ship? Oh, God. Toronto looks fine to me right now. They're fine. I mean... They are losing more games than I would expect from a team I thought maybe would win the President's Trophy this year, which, by the way, they still could. They're in a tough division to do that. Yeah, they're going to have to improve their defensive play. We've known this. I, we've been screaming this since the offseason. Like, they just... Your, your blue line isn't good. It shouldn't be. It can be good, but it isn't good right now. So what can you... One, you got to... We, we got to stop with Cody Ceci. We just... We just... We got to stop with this. 
It's offensive to all of we us. Just, we just we ha- we we have to. But at some point, but they need Jake another Muzzin's piece. Okay though. Yeah, Barry's I like Jake Muzzin. Kinda, I, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I might have overrated the loss of Tyson Berry in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's yeah. an overrated his addition in Toronto. But uh, I think he's fine. If they need him on the second pairing, he's he's going to be perfectly he's fine. fine there. Again, it's going to take him some time to adjust to a new team, new system. Uh, but they, they probably need one more defenseman. They need better play from Freddie Anderson. But like, they ran him into the freaking ground last year. Like, they can't do that to him again. Them and Vegas last year with Flurry. Remember, Vegas basically yeah. played Flurry like the first sixty-five games of the year, and they're like, "Oh, we should rest him," and then sat him for the next seventeen. Well, because their opening season didn't have any goaltending, so they had to play eighteen different goaltenders. <laughs> so like, you know what? We're not doing this. We've used our quarter for the next two years. <laughs> Uh, to New Jersey, who we just saw the Coyotes play last night. We're recording this on Saturday, by the way. I don't know that we've ever recorded this show on I don't Saturday. Think, I don't think we have. Um, Jack Hughes looked good against the Coyotes, and I don't want to overreact to you know seeing one game. I haven't watched a lot of Devils hockey this year, although I've watched a little bit because they're one of those teams that when you're just sort of flipping through and trying to set up a TV, the second TV or whatever, aside from the team you want to watch. The Devils are a team I was kind of like, oh, I'll check this team out with Subban and Jack Hughes. And still, I mean, he shares very early in his career. And uh, Hughes last night looked really good. Yeah, he's looked good this home homestand for them. They've had a four-game homestand since the 14th um, when, he's been, when he's been in the lineup. Uh, he's looked pretty good. He's on a three-game point streak for them. Uh, you know, two goals, three assists in that time. Looked three-point game last night. Starting to settle in a little bit. Um, he looked lost the first few games of the season. He's somebody that I watched closely. Um, we've referenced it on the show, but Luke and I play in a fantasy league. Luke's the commissioner of it. I have Jack Hughes in that league. So I was watching very closely early in the season, and pretty much everything that could go wrong went wrong for the Devils. Uh, it's still going wrong for Wayne Simmons, who had two glorious chances oh. in that game and still hasn't got on the board yet for the Devils. One was a great save by Ronto. Yeah, one, he one just, just pushed missed wide of an empty net. Uh, but it's ta- again, I, we've been spoiled over the years. We've been spoiled by the Austin Matthews, the Connor McDavid's of the world. Even even going back to the Taylor Halls and Tyler Sagan's of the world. Maybe not Tyler Sagan. It took him a little bit. It took him a half second. But uh, we've been spoiled by a lot of these number one picks that have come in and been majorly productive from the first couple games of the season from early on that we forget this is a major transition for these guys. Uh, and it's going to take a little time for even the most talented players to adjust to the league and adjust to the types of players they're playing against, particularly when they're coming from juniors or even versus like the SHL, for example. Yeah. He's he's been they've mixed around his ice time. You know he's been anywhere between thirteen and nineteen minutes. He actually last night's game against the Coyotes was the most minutes he's ever played in a game in the NHL, a little bit over nineteen. But he deserved to be on the ice because he was he was making plays everywhere. That awesome outlet pass up to Pavel Zaka. He's going to be he's going to be an exciting player. I still think he's going to be a guy that can flirt with sixty points this year as a rookie. All right, Jamie, stop talking. Craig Morgan is on the line. Special guest, Craig. What can you tell us about where you are right now? Is there snow? There's no snow. It's actually a nice fall day in Buffalo. Oh. I'm standing outside of a sports bar on a quiet, not-so-quiet street, actually, once people listen to this podcast, um, talking to you guys. Anxious to talk Coyotes, not so anxious to talk Blackhawks, and maybe take some listener questions. Well, we were just – you don't even really have to talk about Blackhawks because they don't have any games scheduled anymore, so we were discussing that earlier. They, they don't really play, so you don't have to suffer this season. Well, every time they play, though, they lose, so – Aren't they playing in Carolina right now, by the way? They actually are. They have the early game today, yeah. Um, yeah so that'll go well. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Uh, let's. Can we start with the tweet? I don't remember who sent it out. Was it Jim Matheson? I think it was. The If the Oilers are going to trade Jesse Pugliarvi, who, by the way, is not playing in the NHL this year, they should get Christian Dvorak for him. Okay. Because yeah. not like the Coyotes are using him or anything. No, I don't think the Coyotes really want Christian Dvorak. That, 
that uh, contract they signed him to, that was just a smokescreen. They're really not interested in him or the 200-foot game that he's been playing. And as Rick Tockett said, the most consistent forward this season. Why would they want that? Yeah, they just moved him to the top line just to showcase him for trades. Yeah. Right, exactly. I, I love the attitude, and it's not everybody. I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush. I mean, but this is why people tend to root against the Canadian teams unless you are specifically a fan of them because of the media attitude that all the other teams in the league are there to just serve the Canadian teams. I mean, for Toronto, they are. Well, apparently they are. Carolina and Ottawa were. <laughs> Good point, Jamie. But uh, but something like this, like, well, the Oilers have this guy that is literally as valuable to them right now as garbage. Not that he, I mean, he may still be a decent player at some point, but he doesn't want to play there. Everybody knows that to the point where he left the country to not play in the NHL. Let's see, who do we want off another team? They'll just give them to us. Yeah. It's just, to me, it's, it's more than just, I, I don't think it's them thinking that everyone's there to serve them. It's, in this particular case, it's just a complete lack of awareness of what trade value might be or what Christian Dvorak's value might be to the Coyotes. I can tell you that the Coyotes thought that was hilarious, too. So there's, there's no way that's happening. There's no way on earth that trade is happening. Christian Dvorak is blossoming before our eyes. Yeah, I mean, of the four guys that they have signed to these sort of, I don't know what you would want to call the contract. I mean, it's basically, like Jamie always says, it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of taking the baseball approach yeah. in hockey. And that's Dvorak, Keller, Schmaltz, and Chikrin. They've got to be ecstatic about what they've seen so far from Dvorak and Schmaltz. Not like the other guys are a lost cause, but Dvorak and Schmaltz look like they're absolutely going to end up being great values based on the contracts they signed. No question. Uh, Nick Schmaltz, too. My God, uh, lately his, his play has just been electric. The elite, elite plays he made last night in that game in New Jersey where they had no business winning the game, he, that's, that's what the Coyotes have lacked for so long, right? You, you can play a poor game if you have a guy who can make a play like that and change the course of the game. You can be outplayed by a team, but if you have one of those guys, they can make one play in a game and it can change the outcome. That's what he's been doing for them. I didn't expect Schmaltz. When we talked about this at the start of the season, who's going to lead the Coyotes in points, and you guys both took other players that I would have taken, so I just took Schmaltz out of, you know, there's only so many players. But we all said we think he could actually lead this team in points. I didn't expect him to look as good as he has looked on the ice. He's been unreal. Yeah, and it and they, they switched up the lines last night. Uh, Dvorak was not on his line because Brad Richardson, of course, was out. But, you know, you put Barrett Hayton with him, and then Barrett Hayton scores the game-winning goal in his first game back in the lineup. Schmaltz is making players around him look better. And, you know, I wrote this story right at the start of the season. There's so much talk about Kessel coming in, what he might add. So much talk about Barrett Hayton coming up. But I wrote the story at the start of the season that Nick Schmaltz could be the guy that alters this team's fortunes. And right now he's got 11 points in 10 games. And they're all in the last eight games when the Coyotes are 6-1-1. One, and one. So, I mean, it's it's completely correlated to, to him playing well. Uh, absolutely. I mean, look, he, he's getting open in, in front of the net quite often. I mean, that, that pass to Barrett Hayton, Hayton half fans on, but it gets enough of it to get in the back of the net. I mean, to Craig's point, if there are certain things that good teams in the NHL do. Good teams can win games when they don't play their best. And that is something that we have not seen a lot from from Arizona over the past few years of when they're off or when they get down a couple goals, there were times where they folded or they just didn't have the horses to get back into the game. And we are seeing a team that is not giving up and that is still pushing and is saying, look, even one or two goal deficits are not going to scare us off. Looking at uh, just what they've done over the last, let's say, the last four wins, 13 different Coyotes have goals. And that's not, you know, I understand that stat can sound like, oh, this is stretched out over 
three weeks and you're going to just handpick their four wins. They've won four of their last five games. 13 different Coyotes have scored in those four games and none of them have been Phil Kessel. So as, as we've talked about on this show, it's not like Phil Kessel is playing poorly, but this perception that the Coyotes are only winning because they went out and got Phil Kessel is not true at all. Is there, is there that perception out there? Because I haven't seen that. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I see more like the opposite. I feel like there are more people that are closer to the team that are panicking about not. I don't. And I mean fans, but like panicking that they're not getting more from Phil Castle. Oh, uh, see, I'm I'm here. What, what's interesting? Go ahead. Well, I just I, maybe I'm just hearing I'm hearing it locally, but I'm hearing it from people that follow the Coyotes fourth among the four major teams in town, and so they just they know Phil Kessel was a big deal, and the Coyotes got him, and the Coyotes are winning, so it must all be connected, and that well, just hasn't I mean, been the case yet. Some of it you can say, look, his line has drawn a lot of attention, right? And that helps other guys like the Schmaltz line get more space, get more time. And that, that's going to have an impact when you have forward depth. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's not producing it. I wouldn't put that on Phil Kessel, though. If you've watched some of the plays he's made, some of the setups, I mean, the guy could have eight assists, ten assists right now with some of the setups he's had. Guys are not finishing his chances. I don't think they're used to playing with him yet and getting the pucks in places they're getting. But Phil Kessel's been really good so far. That's a great point, and I can't remember the exact like time of the game, but there was a play in the second period of, of Friday's game where Phil Kessel gets the puck where 80% of people would have shot the puck there, but he saw a, a teammate coming down the other side. Uh, I, don't, I think it was Keller, and he passes it over to him, and the... Keller would had no idea the pass was coming. They still aren't anticipating some of the plays. And I'm not knocking Keller on that. I'm just saying they're still not anticipating some of the plays that Phil Kessel is trying to make on the ice, particularly in the offensive zone. But if you just focus in on a game, I know it's tough as, as a fan of the team, you want to watch everything that's going on. But maybe you go back, you, maybe you watch one of those condensed games on NHL.com where you have the, the package and you can watch it. Just zero in on number 81 for a whole game. Just watch his shifts and watch all the little things he does, both with and without the puck, and you will realize that, wow, this is an elite player in the league. The goaltending that we've seen now from them, what Kemper went 13 straight games, giving up two goals or less, which this blew my mind. He was only the 12th goalie in NHL history to do it, and if he had gone a 14th game, he would have been just the 7th goalie in NHL history to do it, which it's very impressive, but isn't it kind of staggering that that if you do that for 14 straight games, it puts you in such elite company over the history of the sport. And Craig, what was the uh, the tweet from from uh, NHL PR that you retweeted out? It was like, first of all, I don't understand the concept yeah. of retweeting, but can you explain I, that too? Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's clear to us by now, Luke. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for explaining, though. Um, I had, had actually asked NHL PR to research how many teams had started a season um, allowing two goals or fewer in regulation. In and I, I was looking ahead, seeing if it could happen ten games. But they did. They did far more research for me than that. They looked at eight games, nine games, and ten games. And it was just crazy to look at the teams that they were. You, you had to go back to like the '60s to find a team that had done it. So the Coyotes were already in select company. And if they had gotten to ten, it would have been just a handful of teams. And you go back to like the '30s. So it, it really it speaks to the type of team defense that they're playing and the type of goaltending that they've been getting. Yeah, the teams in front of them. First of all, it must be nice to be Craig Morgan and just be like, um, NHLPR, fetch me this stat. Well, but, when you're, when you're a, a world-famous country music singer, you get what you want. <laughs> I guess that's true. Exactly, and that's how I introduced myself. You had to write them a nice song, but look. look they were confused a little later. but you're, you're getting a lot of positive press on social media from your album or whatever you're doing. Well, and then I do so much, you know, for the country as well. 
with the songs I write, and you know, I, I tug at the hard strings. So, well, maybe everybody just finally heard "No Canada," the original version. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the teams in front of the Coyotes on that list, like you said, Craig, one is from 1968. All the other teams are from the 20s and 30s, when it was a slightly different game back in the day. Yeah, you think? Yeah, no uh, doubt. We saved the Brendan Perlini talk for you. He apparently wants a trade out of Chicago. Um, we have some questions, too, that I don't know that we're going to get to all the questions, so I'll just sort of mix this in right now. I'm sorry I'm not reading off the names, but we'll at least get your question answered. If they hadn't traded him, his his time with the Coyotes seemed pretty numbered anyway, didn't it? Absolutely. I, I, don't, I just don't think uh, he ever clicked with Rick Tockett. I mean, you see, you see the tools there with Brendan Perlini. He's got the size. He's got the speed through the middle of the ice. He's got the shot. But he just never seemed to put the focus together. He never seemed to master the mental side of the game. And I, I love the guy. I absolutely love talking to him. He's one of my favorite quotes. He's such an interesting guy. But he just doesn't seem to be able to play the game that they want consistently. And now the fact that it's happened in Chicago where they, they absolutely need scoring, it just doesn't speak well to his uh, future prospects in this league. Yeah, he and I, I second the whole – he's one of the best – just guys in the NHL to talk to and you want to see somebody like that succeed but he doesn't he doesn't and not like every player has to have an edge to their game but he almost seems too nice right like he's just kind of enjoying life and he's very talented and if he ends up with the puck in the right situation he absolutely could score but he doesn't seem to have that like this is all that matters to me and hockey is my life and again not every player has to have that but he doesn't have it, for sure. And, and there are just games where he disappears. He's just too passive of a player at times. I mean, yeah. there, there's too many times where he's, he's skating and doing nothing. And it's not that he doesn't have the talent. But there are just we talked about a lot when he was in Arizona. This, the hesitancy to shoot the puck with a player that has the shot that he has is mind-blowing to me. There's just the, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a confidence issue, if it's a trying to do too much issue, if it's an analysis or paralysis by analysis issue. I don't know what it is, but it's just there are too many games where he is just a. Uh, they typically say it a lot uh, about players, but you're just a passenger out there on the ice, and that's yeah. what he was way more often than not in his time in Arizona. And to be fair, his time in Chicago too. Yeah, you hope that at some point Brendan Perlini figures it out again, because just just because he's a good dude, and and it, it'd be nice to see him put all those tools together. But as I tweeted last night, and it, and I didn't intend this as a you know as as some Chicago fans are probably reading it as the, Black, uh, the Blackhawks lost the trade. Um, Brendan Perlini's asking for a trade. He's probably going to be out of Chicago soon. So he probably doesn't have much trade value either. So that piece is not going to help them much. Dylan Strome has been okay this season, but nothing like the guy we saw last season so far, and we, we kind of predicted this regression. And Nick Schmaltz has been electric. So all those people that were declaring Chicago the winner in that trade in the landslide when Nick Schmaltz was sitting on the sidelines with a knee injury – they're not looking so smart right now because Nick Schmaltz has been the best of these three players by far thus far this season. Yeah, and I think that's the point because I made the joke on Twitter about I'm old enough to remember when the Blackhawks won this trade. <laughs> The, the oh, thing, that's actually funny. The thi- uh, thank you. Uh, I am actually funny Who'd occasionally. Who did you steal that from? I, I did not steal that from. Uh, Everyone, ev- uh, there it is. One of every 100 things I say is worth I was one. waiting for the Luke shot because I didn't expect a, just a straight-up compliment and then need, just let it lie. I need Matt back here. Uh, no, but Who? we've been rallying against the people that have all, just declaring the trade over. Like that's what never makes this trade isn't over now. No, it is. But it's the people that were just saying, "Nope, definitively, Blackhawks won. Coyotes lost. We don't need to evaluate this any further." I, I want to always. Ridiculous. I want to ask Craig this. And look, 
Jamie's right. It's not like the trade is done now and I'm all sorry, of a sudden what, what the, was that the coyote. I was talking about a different Jamie. Oh. Jamie Ben is right. No, actually, Jamie Ben hasn't been right in a while. Um, it's it, the three of us, and, and we're certainly wrong on this show. I'm sure at some point I can't think of a time, but I'm sure it's happened. But when that was all going down last year, we were all just ripping our hair out because it's like, first of all, Schmaltz played very well in the 17 games he played last year at least production-wise, and everybody just rushes to make a decision on a trade. Well, this guy's better than the other guy because the other guy can't walk right now. Yeah, that's typically how it works. When one guy can't walk, the other guy's more productive. But now, through his first 27 games as a Coyote, Nick Schmaltz has 25 points, and a lot of the games this season, he's been the best player on the ice. So I don't know if that was just Coyotes fans looking and saying, okay, here we go again, we lost a trade. I don't think it was that so much as Chicago fans, and this is, Craig, where you can speak to it. I feel like the Chicago fan base, and it's not just in hockey because they've rallied around Mitch Trubisky, who might be the worst football player in the history of the NFL. They're just (laughs) so optimistic about their teams and their players that I really think that skewed the national perception on this trade. Yeah, they're obstinate too, right? It, it, because you look at what's happening right now and, and then look at my timeline. Oh, I'd still take Strom over Schmaltz. Schmaltz is soft. Schmaltz has never been a tough player. He never performed. So I don't know what it is, to be honest. I can't get into the psychology of all these people. But And, and again, you can't, you can't analyze the trade yet. We're not going to know until about three years down the road how this all shakes out. But... Nick Schmaltz, you mentioned the fact that he had 14 points in 17 games last year. The Schmaltz we're seeing now is a better player than the guy that we saw last year. So his much game better. is more complete. And Rick Tockett has talked about that. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed about his game is his back pressure is so good. And it plays into the fact that he's so good you know, through the neutral zone in transition because of his speed. That's one of the things that he talked about that he really likes to do is strip guys of the puck. His defensive zone awareness has become better. He has become a more complete player. Again, we will see how this all plays out. But right now, Nick Schmaltz, man, he looks exactly what, like what the Coyotes needed. And a point that we stressed earlier, he is a better fit for Rick Tockett's system than Dylan Strom ever was or ever will be because he plays with speed through the middle of the ice. Yeah, that's a great point to make. I mean, if, if they both end up being exactly the same production-wise, it was still a good trade for the Coyotes. It may be a good trade for the Blackhawks, but uh, but Schmaltz specifically fits what Rick Tockett and the Coyotes want. And and look, to be clear, I mean, as much as we say Brendan Perlini was one of the best guys on the Coyotes to talk to, Dylan Strom's right there with him. Like, I'm absolutely rooting for those two guys, but if you watch hockey, you can't possibly tell me that at this point Dylan Strome has outplayed Nick Schmaltz. No, and look, and they're the same age, by the way. Look, there's still plenty of time to tell, but they took Kanan to bring kid away from him, and he's been a different player. And by the way, the Blackhawks are already losing. Yeah, I know that. Thank you. <laughs> I can't find the bell. Right, let's do a couple more you. listener questions, and then I got a hop, boys. Oh, Craig has to get back to his Buffalo party. Okay, I, I did see one about the proper way to slice bagels, so maybe we could start there. Well, there's. There's a few. Well, not not the way St. Louis tried to that one time. I still don't understand what they were doing. You make it what? Like they were just cutting it sideways. Yeah, they're like making like bread chips out of it. Um, Okay, here, Craig. I'm just going to start reading from. I mean, we've got a bunch, so just go whenever you have to go. Coyote and Philly, Sam's Club or Costco? I don't know if either one of them sponsors the show, so I'll say both. Costco. Costco. Um, Not a sponsor, but can be. From Sam's Club is affiliated with Walmart, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think it is. It That's is. enough for me. From uh, Bigfoot Hunter seventy six. Oh wow, mm. good luck out there. Um, He's got seventy five other friends. That's true. At least he could have more. Yeah, minim- too. yeah minimum. Go to or go to order at Dutch Bros. Oh uh, well, that's a uh, ice skinny white mocha. 
Um, and which I, I've turned Craig on to that drink as well. He has, yes. Yeah, to the point where you guys just share the drink inadvertently in the middle of the show. Yeah, too strong. No, we don't do that, Luke. That, oh. that would be gross. <laughs> I feel like you have. I've seen you guys accidentally <laughs> do it. I don't know what my go-to order is because Craig's always the one that picks up the coffee when uh, Dutch Bros I, is involved. Luke's a nice uh, chai You guy. just don't want to say it, do you? Ice chai for Luke. That's that's, that's his go-to. Yes. I have noticed I do yes. start to get interesting looks from people if I just grab an ice chai at Starbucks. People kind of look over at me like, oh, who got, who got the ice? Oh, it's, it's you. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the reaction a lot of people have when they see you. No, that's that's not. It's only at Starbucks. Kyle, with 10 games down, who has impressed you with the Yotes and what still needs work? Are you reassessing any preseason predictions because of their play, good or bad? Mm, boy, that's a, a lengthy question. I, I mean, we talked about some of the guys that have impressed us already. I mean, Nick Schmaltz, Christian Dvorak, the goaltending. There, there are a lot of guys that have impressed me. But I, I called this. I said this team was a playoff team at the start of the season, and I haven't changed my mind. Yeah, Christian Dvorak's a name that comes to mind for me. Obviously, Schmaltz has been great, but Dvorak, Dvorak's shot has been just. I mean, we've known he's had a good shot, but it's been unbelievable this year. I love his aggressiveness. Uh, player, you need to see a little bit more from another guy we talked about a lot in the show, Jacob Chikwin. Yeah. Uh, I st- it still feels like he's caught in between. It still feels like he's just improvising when he's on the ice. And at some point, his talent level is not going to allow him to continue to do that and continue to get these types of minutes. So they need a little bit more from him, especially since they get a defenseman hurt every single game. Yeah, I, yeah <laughs> well, seriously. Um, I would actually say the guy that has sort of impressed me is Ranta, just because I thought it would take him a little bit of time to get back in the swing of things, and it has not at all. He's He's been almost as good as Kemper in the, the three starts he's gotten to Kemper seven. It's got to be tough when you expected, maybe not this year to, to begin, you didn't expect to be the starter, but you were brought here to be the starter and you played well, and now you're a spot starter because Kemper's playing so good. It's tough to step in and still be as as really just as solid as, as Ronta has been in net. Just to transition that slightly. left pad save last night is as good a save as I've seen all season. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That was ridiculous. Yeah, on Wayne Simmons, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, yeah. but before we lose Craig, we need, we need to bring in some more context about the Sabre stuff we teased earlier. Wait, wait okay, before you bring that up, okay. I just, Craig, we were talking about this before you came on. We both could see a path for the Coyotes just winning the Pacific Division. Like My thought in the preseason was wild, between wild card and second place in the Pacific. That's where I thought the Coyotes would finish because I thought Vegas would be a lot better. And it's early, and Vegas may still be a lot better, but would it shock you if the Coyotes won this division? No. I think every team in this division has flaws. Calgary's showing it has flaws. Edmonton's banged up right now, and I didn't expect them to sustain this anyway. So, yeah, I think it's a winnable division. The the flaw that the Coyotes have shown so far, the biggest one, is just that they lose a defenseman every game. That <laughs> yeah. That's their yes. biggest flaw. Yeah. That's got to stop. <laughs> yeah, well, eventually they're not going to have any defensemen. Um, all right, Jamie, tell us about this disturbance. So, uh, for those of you that know, I do some work for a place called The Draft Network. And... We have a guy there that is a huge Buffalo Bills and a huge Buffalo uh, Buffalo Bills fan, but he's trying to get into hockey and he's following the Sabres. He's a big Buffalo guy, so I mean, his, his life's hard enough already. This uh, is the year of Buffalo, though. Both those teams so are just e- rolling. Each of every year, he asks me how I think the Sabres are going to do at the beginning of the year, and I always say probably one of the three worst teams in the East. You're typically rude, yeah. and I'm typically right. Oh, I'm sorry. Last year they were the fourth worst, so I was way so off. You were embarrassingly uh, wrong. But he, after this hot start, he's convinced they're going to make the playoffs. He, he's a big fan of them, and. I said, okay, he wanted to make a bet with me. So the bet is, apparently do this thing in Buffalo because they're a weird thing. So watch out for this while you're walking around town, Craig. It's something called a mustard and ketchup ceremony where you just okay. you just grab big, you know, I don't know, vats of ketchup and mustard and let people like throw it on you and squirt it on you and like just cover you in this. And apparently this Even is, more disturbing this is fun thought. up there. So if the Sabres 
make the playoffs. Uh, I will. I and the Draft Network will be in Vegas for the NFL Draft. That if the Sabers make the playoffs, I've agreed that I would let Joe Marino and company. I don't know. Showered me with mustard and ketchup in Las Vegas. Okay. If the Sabers make I the playoffs, I have questions. Okay. I have questions. We all do. Will you? Will you be clothed? Yes. You'll be clothed. Those will be the last time I wear those clothes, but I will be clothed. <laughs> okay. Is it uh, before when you sent me a text on this earlier? You said condiment. Yes. Not just you didn't limit it to mustard and ketchup. I've only been told so about mustard and ketchup, but I imagine you can get creative with it. Okay. So uh, yeah, because uh, I mean, what defines condiments? Uh, first of all, I, I'm thinking spicy mustard. Obviously, I'm thinking like ghost peppers. Ooh, those okay. probably don't feel so great, right? <laughs> what, what other trash do they throw on Chicago dogs? Wow. <laughs> they don't throw ketchup on it, Jamie. Well, no. They, well, nobody should throw ketchup only on Christian it. Only Christian Fisher eats... The, Christian Fisher is the only Chicagoan I know who eats ketchup on his hot dogs. Mm. If I was Rick Tockett, I yeah, would address I, that. You know what? They should have traded him already just for that. Yeah, I would have been like... It's an abomination. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really that's... Is. I mean... Wow. I have to reevaluate my analysis on Christian Fisher going forward. That's that's disappointing to hear. That should have been in the scouting yeah, report. Have. When he yeah, was that's disappointing. Um now, I've never wanted the Buffalo Sabres to win hockey games so much, just for this moment <laughs> yeah. to, to happen. I, I think all Natty Hattie listeners are now rooting for the Sabres. <laughs> Except on Monday. Um, all right, boys. I am going to hop. I'll all right. let you guys get to the rest of the listener questions, and we'll reconvene next week. All right, Craig. Enjoy Buffalo. All right, boys. See you. Right, see you. I really thought Craig was going to slam the phone down more emphatically and not even tell us that he was uh, leaving. Also, I'm going to take off these headphones because we don't need them now. No, we don't. And we can hear each other perfectly fine. I Let's create this pause on the show as we had to just fight through that interview. It was kind of interesting. I really couldn't hear most of what Craig said because these headphones are from. Yeah, you, yeah you had to get up and find new, new headphones. It's and such a hassle. It's not great. All right. Uh, now that Craig's not here, P-Mart, who's the biggest cheapskate out of you three? Well, it's got to be me, doesn't it? It's not Craig, actually. Yeah, it's not. No, Craig, no. It, it, it would be me. Okay. I think it's cl- pretty clearly me. I am uh, I mean, I don't buy the coffee typically, but that's just out of laziness. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty good Like when we're, we go out together. like We all pay for each other. And yeah. We've all picked up stuff. But normally, like if, if I can alligator arm the dinner check, I will. <laughs> I've never actually seen you do that. Uh, Shane, who do you think gets the first hat trick? I would assume that's in reference to the Coyotes and not the three of us. Yeah, no. Uh, well, the... Uh, uh, would a four-goal game, by the way, I was listening to this last... Th- this is what you were supposed to come up with. Yeah. In last week's episode, you were supposed to come in here oh, with what a four-goal natural hat trick, like four straight goals would be. And you you were like, oh, I'll come up with a good name for next no, week. We, uh, no, that can't be me because it's already the Thornton. We know this. Yeah. I, trust me. I have, this I is have the, audio hockey, footage said, of you uh, did saying, I Because yeah. like, hockey Twitter's already come up with this, yeah. and I don't believe I'm allowed to say one of the words. No, you probably can't. Um, so, uh, the first Coyote that I think gets a hat trick this year... Phil Kessel. Yeah, it's probably still Kessel, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he that's a, that's a good call, because the game where he got the two goals, it didn't take long. No, and he's going to get a, a tremendous amount of power play time. He's got the puck on his, on his stick so often. It is remarkable that they've been winning without actual statistical production from him, winning at the rate that they're winning. Yes. We're through 10 games. They're 6-3-1. and one. They could easily be 9-1. and one. The only game, to me, that they have been outplayed in and lost was the Islanders game. You can make a case they were outplayed against New Jersey, too, but they won the game. They won. And you can make a case of the Anaheim game for a little bit, their opening. Yeah, but, but they also but dominated the first period of that yeah, game. Yeah, and then they stopped. Um, Jeffrey, it's been talked about how much Keller worked on his shot this offseason, but he seemed to struggle with one-timers so far. Is this working on pass receiving or shooting quicker? He plays with elite passers and seems to be missing opportunities. Thanks. Love the pod. Oh, well, thanks, Jeffrey. Um, I think it's it's still too early 
to to really assess anything on Keller this season. But I will say this. They, they need more goals from him. His only goal this yes. season was an empty netter last night. Yeah, and, and Brooke, what, an 18-game goalless streak, I believe, dating back to last year, is yeah. what the graphic said. Um, look, I know he's not a shoot-first guy, and uh, you know, on some levels, you're... On some levels, that creates some issues when you don't have anybody on your line that is a particularly shoot-first guy. As somebody's going to have to take that shot eventually. But they absolutely need more from him. And I, and I think this is something you said uh, in our text thread during the game when the Coyotes were giving up goals every 16 seconds, it felt like, for a period of time. There, there was, was a stretch there. Where it, this is a time where you need a player like Clayton Keller to get you one to get you back in the game. Now, it turned out to be Schmaltz that was going to be the one to get you And it was Schmaltz 30 one. seconds after I sent the text. Yes. But yeah. Uh, but you want to see a little bit more. I, I do give him credit on that empty net goal because he did hustle to make the play Vatnin kind of got the puck you lost the puck there and he was able just to very quickly didn't have to stop it make just one shot boom right into the net just ice that game right away we don't need to talk about that anymore but yes he's going to need to put the puck in the back of the net more often particularly when there's a goalie in it too this yeah that would help um because this is sort of what Max Domi did his last year remember he couldn't score and so he just yeah I think he had three empty net goals in that one year look the empty netters sealed the game last night I don't think Keller has been bad this season he's been his point total, I think his point total looks better than his actual play has been. Yeah, I, I mean, would say eight points to ten games, and I, I looked that today and went, "Oh, really?" Because because and I looked closer at it. A lot of those assists right. are secondary assists. Now he has a couple, like the Kessel goals he set up. I mean, yeah. those are when when Keller gets a primary assist, it is it is a legit primary yes. assist. But he gets a lot of secondary assists where it's like, yeah, he touched the puck, and then somebody else. So I mean, I would also caution, I, even with the empty net goal. He's shooting 3.7%. That's well, not going to continue. And yeah, I'm not so concerned about the lack of goals oh, It was at over the 26 just before that empty netter. Like, I, I don't think that's going to continue. And, and to answer the question, he's just been working on his shot more than anything else in the offseason. Um, but to reference back to the text I sent you and Craig during the game last night, it was 2 nothing New Jersey at the time. And, and this is a concern with me. If you're going to have one with Keller's deal, he's going to make $7.15 million per year now over the next 100 years. Um <laughs> To me, Kovalchuk. <laughs> to me, he's uh, no. Kovalchuk was two hundred. To me, he's never a guy that you can look for in that situation and say, "We need a goal." Keller's going to get it. Yeah, well, uh, he's never going to be that guy. I mean, you no, know and that's that. and, and and I think part of that just it's it's the thing they're still missing. They have guys that are scoring goals, but they don't have a goal, a pure goal scorer. If that makes any sense, yeah. Like they need, and but they never really did. Like Robata was the closest thing they had for a while, but he was a shoot first guy. You're going to need Phil Kessel's still not a shoot first guy. He can put the puck in the net, but he's not a shoot first guy. At some point, that's going to catch up to him. But I, I do think the point that Craig and I talked about earlier a lot with with Phil Kessel making plays that guys aren't ready for. I am seeing that. Twice a game, every single yeah. game. And I think that's a chemistry thing. As we get 20, 30, 40, 50 games into the season, I think they're going to start connecting on more of those plays. They're going to start anticipating Phil Kessel to make those plays. And those are going to result in more high danger and chances and goals. There's going to be a stretch this season. I'm, I'm pretty confident in this. And, and we've seen it now from Keller the last two years where Keller goes off in October and then trails off. I mean, that's just what it's been the first two years of his career. He's put in a lot more effort off the ice during the offseason this time or this past summer and I do think there's going to be a stretch whenever it is where that line with Kessel and Keller and step on or whoever it's going to be yeah. at that point just goes off for like four games and Keller's going to have four or five goals in the in the four games and Kessel's going to go off and it's just it's going to be it's just going to be one of those times where mm-hmm. you see because I'm not trying to knock Keller I'm just saying He's never going to be a guy that creates his own shot consistently, no. and you know that. You knew it when you drafted him, part of but you re- have to pair him with somebody. Part of the reason we're so hard on Keller is that of anybody on this team, he has the highest ceiling. 
He truly does. I mean, Schmaltz is playing well. Phil Kessel's an all-star. But Clayton Keller, at this point in his career, has a higher ceiling than any player on this Coyotes team. And I think that's why we are hard on him. Because I believe, I said on the show, that I believe he's only a year or two away from being somebody that has 90-point potential. I still believe that. And I've liked some things I've seen so far this year. There are things that I felt like there are certain times in games where he's kind of slipped back into old habits. It's a small enough sample size. I want to see, give me 20, 30, 40-plus games to kind of see how it all comes together. But... If you're looking for him to be a shoot-first, 35-goal guy, you're, that's not the player he is. And I think we have to understand that at some point, the guys are going to need, whether it's, it may not be this season, but sometime in the next three to five years, you're going to need a shoot-first player that can play in your top six. You're going to just absolutely need it. Probably particularly a right-handed shot that's a shoot-first guy. Yeah, and that's a good point. And, and, and to me, it's not... Keller doesn't need to be a 35-goal guy, but there are just certain points in certain games where the Coyotes have played really good in their first 10 games, but they weren't great against the Islanders, and you could tell they were kind of wearing down a little bit in the first period last night, and it's just, okay, who's going to get them that goal? And it's nice to have a few different guys who could get it, but when you're paying a guy $7.15 million a year, and they're not yet, but they will be starting next year, it would be nice to say, you, just go get us that goal. And that's what's tough. That's not the player he is. So you just have to make sure you have somebody paired with him. And I do think him and Kessler are going to go off here at some point. Um, Josh, do you expect the Coyotes goalie share to skew more towards 50-50? Darcy has taken seven of the first 10 games. I think it will skew closer than seven than 70-30. Part of that's because Ronta wasn't fully healthy to start the year, so you were always going to play Darcy Kemper the first whatever three plus games of the season yeah. to begin with. So it's since Ronta's come back and has been legitimately one hundred percent, it's been closer to fifty fifty. Um, I think you need to be aware though, at least for now, until until he proves otherwise. Kemper's gonna it's gonna be skewing in Kemper's favor. It should even if it's fifty five forty five. It should and until further notice. And I, that wasn't. That wouldn't have been the plan a year ago. But, but the reality Kemper's is, been so good. you're going to need both. You're going to yeah. need both all season. You're going to play a ton of back-to-backs. There are going to be nagging injuries. There are going to be times where goalies get tired and you're going to need them to give them a rest day. They're going to need both of these guys. They're both going to play a ton. But I agree with you. Darcy Kemper deserves to get the slightly higher share of those starts right now because he has been unbelievable for you. And by the way, they're both locked in now. So you have no outside yep. influence. It's literally no pressure from whoever deserves to play deserves to play. And Tockett, I think, has handled it pretty well perfectly so far. It's only 10 games. But I mean, how how great was it to come off a loss to the Islanders and it's second half of a back to back and not have to turn to, you know, not a knock on any of those other guys that are in the AHL, but to not have to turn to a guy that basically is an AHL goalie. Yes. You could just turn to Auntie Ranta. And you look around the NHL landscape, it's not inconceivable the Coyotes have two of the ten best goalies in hockey it's right now. It's an incredible advantage. We've talked about the little incremental advantages the Coyotes need to have in other areas of their game because they don't have an elite center and they don't have elite scoring. And this is one of them, is that the fact is that they have zero drop-off. As long as those two are healthy, there's almost no drop-off between their starting and backup goaltenders. And that is just not something you see in the NHL much anymore. Let's, uh, let's try to get through some more of these quickly because we've got... Quite a few. Dangle, Snipe, Belly. Uh, we've answered two of the three questions, but the third one is, which team off to a hot start do you think is least likely to sustain it? Well, Buffalo, but should, should I pick another answer? Um, it seems boring. Well, if, if is there another team that you um, look at and you're like, oh, okay. The Islanders. Know. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that's a playoff team either. Um, I don't know. I, I do wonder, though, if they are... I mean, they've won six in a row. I mean, they started one and three, and they've won six in a row. But I just... I wonder if they are almost the East Coast equivalent to the Coyotes. They could be, but their blue line's not as good. It's not. And I don't think their goaltending is... As, it's not. No, goaltending's not as good. I don't think it's even as good as it was last year. But, but they, they have awesome coaching. Style. Yeah, and they have awesome coaching. coaching. they got a great top line. 
I and when I maybe say maybe look at something from Eberle at some point. I well, I'm playing now. I, I and you can't tell. I, I would say when I'm saying that they might be the East Coast equivalent of the Coyotes, just in the sense that they, if you don't watch them, they sneak up on you. And, and I mean, watching them play the Coyotes the other night, they played the Coyotes style of hockey on that particular night better than the Coyotes did, which look, surprised and me. And they're in the right division. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. If, if you're going to be a team that's going to make a spot, it's going to be in the Metro. You got Washington, Carolina. I mean, Columbus has a winning record right now. I don't think that's going to stay. Well, they um, they play overtime every single night. Yeah. Columbus does. Uh, Los Coyotes, Steve, would Perlini have received a qualifying offer from Chica if the trade hadn't been made? I, I don't believe he would have. Yeah, I'm not sure he would have. Um, and if he would have, it probably only been the maybe executed deal. Joe, how much of the Coyotes' recent defensive struggles can be explained by Nicholas Jalmerson's absence? A lot. Um, particularly on the PK, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's. we've said this before, he's their best defensive defenseman. He's one of the best defensive defensemen in the NHL. And I know they kept winning right after they lost him, but then they lost Osterley and then Capobianco went down last night. The other thing is they're losing these defensemen early in games and then playing the whole game with only five defensemen. Yeah, and the reality is they're at the point now they don't have NHL caliber guys left. Nobody like, would at this point. There's no, there's no, they don't have a guy now, so... Um, a couple of Bianco came back in that game, which is, was good to yeah. see. Um, looked like it almost got me like his leg twisted or something because it didn't look like the block was unless it caught him right flush on the ankle. No, but you worry when you see somebody twist their leg, well, especially coming off that knee injury. Yeah, um, and he's but, been good by the way. Cap- yes, he, has, he has. You know what? I, They've I, thrown I, him into the fire, and he has been solid. I'm really glad you brought him up because you know we talk about decision making and making being making quick choices with the puck, and he does that. He doesn't hesitate. And I think that's the one difference between a guy like him and a guy like Jacob Chikrin, where Chikrin always seems like he's going a his thinking a million miles an hour when the puck is near him, where Capobianco just reacts and reacts correctly yeah. and makes a su- simple, safe play and doesn't try to do anything more than that. And that's an awesome player to have on your third pair. Simple and decisive. Yes. And, uh, and by the way, that, that goes back to last well. year. Yeah. So we have, a, we have a bigger sample size that says Capobianco is a darn good third pair and good f- defenseman for them. There's a reason that they were willing to trade Pierre Olivier Joseph. And I don't think it was necessarily a knock on him. It was more. That they had Victor Soderstrom coming through the pipeline, but also that they felt pretty confident the the first guy called up to the the Coyotes on defense would be Kyle Capobianco, and he could play if they needed. I mean, they well, knew he was going to play this. Yeah, year. and it was also it made me easier for them to move Kevin Connaughton for Carl Soderberg, knowing yeah. that okay, we have a seventh defenseman that we trust. Uh, we've received a few Brandon Tanev tweets because he has a couple goals, including uh, a, a game winner, I believe. This is a goal against Tampa when they lost. But uh, by the way, Pittsburgh. Started the year horribly, then went on this crazy run, and now they're just horrible again. I don't know what's going this, on? This is what they are. Yeah, this team is going to go up and down at a stupid rate the whole year. Where's my? Where's Olfi? I know you have him today. I saw him. Yeah, okay, he was losing his voice before. Um, Richard Morin, by the way, thank you for tagging me in the Brandon Tanev tweet. I don't know exactly who originally did it, but I love the fact that people are tagging him in all Brandon Tanev mentions as well. Also, I should point this out. I texted you and Craig about this, but I should point it out on the podcast. Walking into the Coyotes game oh, yeah. Saturday. And, you know, they always check your bag for media, and they're going through, and the guy's like, are you uh, are you smuggling stuffed ducks into the game? And I, and I just, I was like, no, it's, it's a long story. And his response was, we've got all night. <laughs> <laughs> so I almost had a stuffed duck security issue. Uh, uh, so good. More tweets about how the Strom Schmaltz trade is, uh, is playing out. Um, trying to, let's see, with Edmonton, this is from Victor, with Edmonton being in the playoff race this late in the season... <laughs> Eleven games. That's a, that's a great tweet. Uh, is Dave Tippett a lock for the Jack Adams on that fact alone? Um, I think he's very he's much in that win. conversation. I, think I he's would gonna be win surprised if, yeah. if they make the playoffs. I, th- I would be shocked. They're they're going to make the playoffs, and I I don't understand where this came from. 
but there was definitely pushback in Edmonton when he got hired. And so the simple fact that apparently people weren't clued into what he's capable of and had the bar set even lower for him, Edmonton's going to make the playoffs. And yeah, I think Dave Tippett's at least going to be a finalist. Yes. Um, it absolutely deserves to be. Yeah, no, he checks all the boxes. He he deserves to be. He will have resurrected a Canadian team, and those are really the only boxes you, need yeah, you want to win an awards. award. Yeah, that, that's it. Um, oh, we didn't reference the fact that on this road trip, not in Buffalo, obviously, Craig was eating dinner next to Olivia Wilde and Brooke Shields. That's right. Um, and that was apparently true. I asked him. Oh, that was, oh, it was yeah, legit? He okay. wasn't just like throwing that out there. Carl writes in, I like how Jamie mentioned picking up Hank via yours truly, but not whose team he lost to last week. Oh, wow. That's uh, interesting. That's, uh, well, at least I'm better than Owen to Lipinski. You know, that's not really. That's entirely Martin Jones' fault and other other poor goaltending decisions. Uh, Joseph, curious, Craig Morgan, listening. Uh, well, this is great. We'll answer for well, Craig. <laughs> listening to the latest Natty Hattie talking about Taves, while he has a no movement clause, do you think there would be a chance he'd pull a flurry and remove it to go to a new market? I mean, he knows the Hawks aren't going to be great. Plus, it could be fun. Uh, that is an interesting question. It's going to if Chicago ever got to that point. Cause this came up because we were talking about how Chicago mm-hmm. needs to at least explore trading Patrick Kane if they're really just going to be bad for the next few years. And of course, that turned to they won't wouldn't be able to trade Taves because his contract is hideous compared to his production. Like Kane is still productive, uh, but also that Taves has a no movement. It's an interesting thought. I mean, if, if Chicago really is as bad as Craig thinks they are this year, and then again next year, and, and you're Stan Bowman, and you go to Taves, and you're like, look. You know, maybe we can trade you somewhere where you're a really good third line center for whoever. I think it's more likely he would waive it for a trade than waive it for the expansion draft. And yeah. I think that's what that. Yeah, I, I I know what we saw with Vegas was remarkable, but I think that is atypical of what to expect for expansion franchises in any league moving forward. So yeah. I would be shocked if he wants to go there to be the first line centerman for the you know the Seattle Totems or whatever they're going to be, unless they maybe name the team the Seattle Taves. Yeah, that would be the, the one caveat. Uh, Rob writes in, I'm sorry, Rob-E, couldn't agree with you more even in the losses the Coyotes have looked like the better team. Oh, that's nice. It's not even a question. It's just telling us how good we are. Um, Nam Danan writes in with a bunch of stats, but basically everybody thought the Pacific Division was supposed to be weak, and it hasn't been that way early on. So do we see any consistency to this? I mean, the Metro is the weakest division in my mind. Yeah, I, I mean, the Central's like... Nobody's it's really weird to say the Pacific hasn't Atlantic. been weak. Like, uh, you've... I mean, Edmonton's playing well. I mean, I guess you look at Edmonton, Arizona, but like everybody's got a couple teams playing well. Vegas hasn't looked awesome. Anaheim's barely over five hundred. You know, Vancouver and Calgary are barely over five. I guess Vancouver six. Vancouver hasn't played any games, so I guess they look better. I don't know. Like, it's tough to, to talk about weakness of divisions a dozen games into the season, especially yeah. when these teams haven't really played much of each other yet. But eh, like I'm not. I'm not excited. Like there are no elite teams in the West. That that's just. I don't think there are. If there is one, it's Colorado right now. Yeah, and we'll have, if they if they get that goaltending all year, then it will be Colorado. But I don't think they will. Uh, Steve writes in: Can you do anything to help get Keller scoring? Put him on the line with Schmaltz again, or let things be and wait? I, I would let things be and wait. Yeah, it's sort of what we were just talking about. He's not really ever going to be a goal scorer, but I'd like to keep him with Kessel, and he can get his assists, and Kessel can get the goals. Uh, but it wouldn't. We talked about that preseason. Would you just would you just go all in Keller, Schmaltz, and Kessel on a line, and then just tell your defenseman, "Sorry, it's good luck." Um, but Schmaltz has been better defensively, and Kessel's yes. not terrible defensively. No, but he's no, a but, but I'm just saying you're, you're dealing with five guys, or three guys that are that are forward thinking. Yeah, um, Christina, who's your favorite defenseman on the Coyotes and in the league currently? I mean, I've always been partial to Chris Letang. 
because he's a penguin, but also I, yeah. I actually think he's – and it's rare because I'll be the first to admit, I mean, the Penguins for a while there got way too much hype. And they were winning cups too, but Chris Letang was always kind of under the radar, I felt like, compared to what he meant for those good Penguins teams. So uh, he's still probably my favorite non-Coyotes defenseman. On the Coyotes, I mean, I, we've known Oliver yeah. Larson since the start of his career. That's, that's the thing. I mean, I've spent a lot of time talking to, to Oliver Ekman Larson watching his game. He's, he's such a unique player. Yeah. Um, gro- unique growth, um, even from like when he first got here, barely being able, barely feeling comfortable with the language. Yeah. Um, to the time where he had a little, his favorite little curse word to end every <laughs> sentence because he thought that's what you were supposed to do. <laughs> I about that. Uh, and he just, he's just, I he's a good dude. I think know who influenced that. He, oh, uh, that, we definitely know who influenced that. Yeah. Uh, so I think he'd be my choice. For the league wide, uh, I've always been a fan of Victor Hedman. I've always been a fan of his game. Uh, I like guys that can play elite both ways. I think that's such a... Uh, in, in a sport that is becoming more and more specialized, I love seeing players that can literally do it all. Yeah. Uh, and and at a very high level both ways, there's not a, a precipitous drop-off when he plays defense. Uh, I'm So that would be my guy for me. Also from Christina, do you ever sing Copacabana when thinking about Capabianco? Um, yes. Yes, I actually. do, actually. I say it out loud yeah. a lot. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. The last Capo, Coyotes home game. Capobianco. <laughs> oh, I did it all the time. <laughs> we were doing, and separate from Jamie, downstairs in the hallway waiting for the off-ice interview in the first intermission of the last home game. We There was three of us absolutely doing that. So great call, Christina. Uh, actually, one more from Christina. Do you think Hayton will stay with the team? Yeah, we got another question from Mike Langford that just came in as well. Is, is talk handling Hayton like he handled Stamkos as a rookie? Does Hayton have to keep scoring to stay in the lineup? I've liked what I've seen so far where he's been in three games. Yeah. He's got a goal and an assist in three games. Yeah, I've liked what I've seen so far. His speed looks like it's going to translate. My question is going to be where? what is his role when everybody is healthy? And the question is, is he going to even get that opportunity? Because players, I mean, you're going to have to make a call. Sometime next month, you're going to have to make a call on him, whether he's going to stay with your team long long term for the season or you're going to send him back to juniors. I to me, he's probably shown enough to stay, but do you have an open spot for him? That's my concern. I'm not sure they have an open spot. Yeah, I mean, you could. I guess you'd go the other way and say, over the course of 82 games, once you get into the season, are all of your forwards ever truly healthy? And that's another question we got, too. To, like, what's the difference between sitting NHL games or playing in juniors? If you can get him into 40 or 50 NHL games, I think that's way more valuable than 80 games in, in juniors. I would agree. And also, I, I do. I think he offers something. I don't think you're, you would be doing that just to be nice to him or to get him. Like, I think he does offer something to this team. So if you think you are a playoff contender this year, which we all do, I'd like to see Hayton stay with the team because... Who are the other forwards you're looking to call up? For, yeah, from Nick Merkley. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I just I, I trust I, Hayton more. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the thing too. If you, this is a team that still has to consider how injured it was last year and how injuries have piled up around the league. That he's I, your first forward in if you have a forward hurt. Yeah, or or a forward that's not playing well. Yeah, I mean, to me, I would again. I, I haven't talked to talking about this because I'm not at the team, not covering the team anymore like I used to, uh, but. I would keep him around. I think he's shown enough to say be there. And look, if you have to find a way to get him into every other game. Maybe it's not every other game like specifically, but get him into that 41 to 45 game range by the end of the year. I don't think it should be that hard to do. Yeah, I mean, we had a couple people ask. Like Coach East Jack asked about Hayton, too. So I, I think we lumped all of your questions into that one answer there. Um, also from Coach East Jack, do you see an opportunity with the Coyotes bringing back Perlini? I, I, I just don't. I mean, it's not like they don't like him. It's just... They're, they're didn't fit, they're, they moved him for a reason. Yeah, well, and they're also just, I mean, we're talking about how Hayton can't get in the lineup. Yeah. Who are you bumping out of the lineup for Perlini when yeah. you already have had him? And I think the Coyotes have a feeling of 
what they believe his ceiling is, whereas Hayton's ceiling is is still wide open at this point. Um, that's pretty much it. Uh, we just got eight more. Um, <laughs> I think we, we can end on this one because it's from George Fowler, friend of the show. Okay, I talked about we've talked a lot about Connor Garland uh, the last few shows. You know, he says, you know, a difference maker, long-term outlook, blocking shots seems to be a bigger part of the current game and a more significant source of lasting injuries. Is the armor good enough? Any thoughts on how to reduce the ding? So there's two questions there. Yeah. Uh, with Connor Garland, I still think his role is as a bottom six forward. Um, I, he plays with high energy. He has enough skill to put the puck in the net when he needs to. But I don't think he's somebody you want playing in your top six for a significant amount of time long-term. But I do think he is a solid NHL player. Yes. Like. He's here to stay, I think. Energy line guy. Like, nothing nothing wrong with that. And I mean, can occasionally produce goals. And has enough talent. What does he have off the top he, he of my head? He has five goals right now. No, but I believe he has 17 in 57 career NHL games. I can tell you exactly if you stall for a little bit. So, I mean, if that's if that's not the exact number, it's right around that number. And that is... 18 and 57. Okay. So, even better. Um, at a certain point, and this is still very early in his career, but at a certain point... If you're producing at that level, I mean, he's not going to produce at that level because that's a 30 goal per 80 yeah, games, basically. He, I mean, but in the bottom six, he can be a guy that can flirt in the upper teens, maybe 20 if you have to put him up. Like, you could play him up higher in the lineup if you had to. I they just don't think been. that's his long, yeah, I don't think that's his long-term area. I would also say for him, too, there was a couple goals in the New Jersey game where he didn't, he had nothing, like, he, nothing in the stats. He didn't get a, a goal or yeah. an assist. But he was a huge part of two different goals in that game where he was going right to the net and he screened the goalie and, or he drew defense to him. So he, he does things that aren't even showing up on the stat sheet. So maybe his goal total, not that it's inflated. I mean, he's taking a puck off the face to get one of those goals. So True. He, he does. You earn that one, though. It's, it's, yeah, it's tough when you – people watch and they're like, well, he's just, he gets lucky because he's right there and he just hits the puck and it goes in. Well, that's how you're supposed to score goals in the NHL. Like if everybody, everybody isn't Mitch Marner or whatever. Um, I'm trying to – okay – Last one. This is from Kevin. How did this tr- trade age oh, for the yes. Kings? Uh, yeah, Darcy Kemper for Tobias Reader, Reader and Scott, Scott Wedgwood. Well, I can uh, tell you, it worked out well for Arizona, it, and it worked out well for Darcy Kemper. And again, that's another. Again, got to give John Chaika some credit for that one because that was a trade that he gave up almost nothing uh, and got a player that is now going to be an integral part of their future. It is. It's interesting that when when Chaika, and it probably is this way for most GMs, but. When people scrutinize Chaika, they don't look at a move like that. They're yeah. just like, oh, and yeah, sure, the Coyotes are winning because Darcy Kemper's great. But yeah, and they traded Scott Wedgwood and Toby Reeder for yeah. him. Like that needs just because it wasn't a blockbuster at the time doesn't mean that you can selectively forget it when you're evaluating the job he did. How many times when John Chaika made trades did we say the best part about this is there's no risk, and yes. even if there's no reward, you break even. Yes. And in this case, there's been obscene reward yes. because for a lot of these guys, Kemper, if he keeps playing like this, is going to be. A Vezina finalist. All right, that is going to do it for us. Do we give Craig Morgan any credit, or do we just pretend he wasn't on the No, show? I just pretend he wasn't even here. You think he brought the banana carrier to Buffalo? Of course he did. Maybe he has a buffalo wing carrier. Oof. Disgusting. It feels like it's messy if you're without the sauce or dry rub. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to carry it with like, actual buffalo sauce on it. I don't want to end the show on this note, but we're going to. Yeah, we have to. All right, so for Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast. I'm not relishing the potential opportunity in Vegas for me. I hate that.